Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Luke. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel of Luke, which we now begin, contains many precious things which are not recorded in the other three Gospels. Such, for instance, are the histories of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the angel's announcement to the Virgin Mary, and, to speak generally, the whole contents of the first two chapters. Such, again, are the narratives of the conversion of Zacchaeus and the penitent thief, the walk to Emmaus, and the famous parables of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the rich man and Lazarus, and the prodigal son. These are portions of scripture for which every well-instructed Christian feels particularly thankful, and for these we are indebted to the Gospel of Luke. The short preface which we have now read is a peculiar feature in Luke's Gospel, but we shall find on examination that it is full of most useful instruction. In the first place, Luke gives us a short but valuable sketch of the nature of a Gospel. He calls it a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. It is a narrative of facts about Jesus Christ. Christianity is a religion built upon facts. Let us never lose sight of this. It came before mankind at first in this shape. The first preachers did not go up and down the world proclaiming an elaborate artificial system of obtruse doctrines and deep principles. They made it their first business to tell men great, plain facts. They went about telling a sin-laden world that the Son of God had come down to earth and lived for us and died for us and was risen again. The gospel at its first publication was far more simple than many make it now. It was neither more nor less than the history of Christ. Let us aim at greater simplicity in our own personal religion. Let Christ and his person be the son of our system And let the main desire of our souls be to live the life of faith in him and daily know him better. This was Paul's Christianity. To me, to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21 In the second place, Luke draws a beautiful picture of the true position of the apostles in the early church. He calls them eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. There is an instructive humility in this expression. There is an utter absence of that man-exalting tone which is so often crept into the church. Luke gives the apostles no flattering titles. He affords not the slightest excuse for those who speak of them with idolatrous veneration because of their office and nearness to the Lord. He describes them as eyewitnesses. They told men what they had seen with their own eyes and heard with their own ears, 1 John 1 verse 1. 
He describes them as servants of the word. They were servants of the word of the gospel. They were men who counted it their highest privilege to carry about, as messengers, the tiding of God's love to a sinful world and to tell the story of the cross. Well would it have been for the church and the world if Christian ministers had never laid claim to higher dignity and honor than the apostles claimed for themselves. It is a mournful fact that ordained men have constantly exalted themselves in their office to the most unscriptural position. It is a no less mournful fact that people have constantly helped forward the evil by a lazy acceptance of the demands of priestcraft and by contending themselves with a mere vicarious religion. There have been faults on both sides. Let us remember this and be on our guard. In the third place, Luke describes his own qualifications for the work of writing a gospel. He says that he had followed all things closely for some time past. It would be mere waste of time to inquire from what source Luke obtained the information which he has given us in his gospel. We have no good reason for supposing that he saw our Lord work miracles or heard him teach. To say that he obtained his information from the Virgin Mary or any of the other apostles is mere conjecture and speculation. Enough for us to know that Luke wrote by inspiration of God. Unquestionably, he did not neglect the ordinary means of getting knowledge, but the Holy Spirit guided him no less than all other writers of the Bible in his choice of matter. The Holy Spirit supplied him with thoughts, arrangement, sentences, and even words. And the result is that what Luke wrote is not to be read as the word of man, but as the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Let us carefully hold fast the great doctrine of the plenary inspiration of every word of the Bible. Let us never allow that any writer of the Old or New Testament could make even the slightest verbal mistake or error when, writing as he has, moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 Let it be a settled principle with us in reading the Bible that when we cannot understand a passage or reconcile it with some other passage, the fault is not in the book, but in ourselves. The adoption of this principle will place our feet upon a rock. To give it up is to stand upon quicksand and to fill our minds with endless uncertainties and doubts. Finally, Luke informs us of one main object he had in view in writing his gospel. It was that Theophilus might have certainty concerning the things he had been taught. There is no encouragement here for those who place confidence in unwritten traditions and the voice of the church. Luke knew well the weakness of man's memory and the readiness with which a history alters its shape both upon additions and alterations when it depends only on word of mouth and report. What therefore does he do? He takes care to write. There is no encouragement here for those who are opposed to the spread of religious knowledge and talk of ignorance as the mother of devotion. Luke does not wish his friend to remain in doubt on any manner of his faith. He tells him that he wants him to know the certainty of those things wherein he has been instructed. Let us close the passage with thankfulness for the Bible. Let us bless God daily that we are not left dependent on man's traditions and need not be led astray by ministers' mistakes. We have a written volume 
which is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.15 Let us begin Luke's gospel with an earnest desire to know more ourselves of the truth as it is in Jesus, and with a hearty determination to do what lies in us to spread the knowledge of that truth throughout the world. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, all theology is important and worthy of our study, but as Ryle points out, at the heart of Christianity is Christ. Is he the one we are seeking? Are different doctrinal points connecting us to the life of Christ or simply for argumentation? Second, The apostles were content to call themselves witnesses and ministers of the word. Do we elevate ourselves or our leaders to a position the Bible doesn't give to them? Do we elevate leaders as something above servants of the word? Have we ceased to expect this of our leaders? Third, when faced with difficult doctrines or struggle to reconcile seeming contradictions, do we place the blame on the Bible or on our lack of understanding? Has trusting the inspiration of the Bible led us to greater peace or unrest? And lastly, are we thankful for the carefully written account that we have been given in the Scriptures? In the silence of where you sit, would you not give thanks to God that He has not left us without a witness, but He has led men like Luke to write down what He wants to say to us? Praise be to God.